is the Amazon Planet Podcast, episode 41. I'm your host, Joel Ambedon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast is Dr. John Staley, coordinator of special projects in Baltimore County Public Schools, where his primary work involves supporting schools and continuous improvement process. He is also the former president of the National Council of Supervisors of Mathematics and is the current chair of the United States National Commission on Mathematics Instruction. You might be asking yourself, holy cow, Joel, how'd you get this guy on your podcast? Well, I met John this past summer when we were discussing his book, High School Mathematics Lessons to Explore, Understand, and Respond to Social Injustice with his co-authors, Robert Barry, Basil Conway, and Brian Lawler. We did this uh, series of uh, discussions and also accumulating podca- uh, a culminating podcast for the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. We can put links to that in the show notes. But anyway... Through that, we had some great discussions then, and I was just excited that to see, you know, all these things that John's involved in, and like, I just listed a fraction of him, he's going to share more. I wanted John to come in and discuss with me the power of organizations, the power of professional organizations to help improve our teaching. I mean, both as, you know, participating within, but also leading within, right? And so, and and, I mean, contributing to them, And, and obviously he's done that, and so we, we're going to take a math education bent to all these discussions. I, we're both math educators. It's hard to, you know, take it from a general perspective. But so definitely we're in this lane of math education. But the same can be said for any group that is looking to get better at teaching. There is an organization out there for you. So um, I, I just, lots of good stuff happened in this conversation. So thankful for the time that he uh, gave uh, to me in this conversation and is just glad to get to share it with you. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Dr. John Staley. All right, John, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, and thank you for having me, Joel. Um, Happy New Year to everybody. Yeah. yeah glad yeah. to be here with you. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's been uh, – one of the highlights of the summer was in doing the uh, – summer book club uh, on the high school math lessons to, I, uh, oh shoot, I've lost all the title, but uh, <laughs> high school math. understand and respond to social injustice. I know, yes. if I would have just taken a second, I could have like gotten it, but yeah, it was, I mean, one of the things we did this summer for the Teach Math Teaching Podcast was to do that summer book club in which we had a lot of chances to interact and it's like, we've never had a chance to interact. I'm like, you know what? I like John and I hadn't talked with him uh, much before. So this is great that we get a chance to uh, share, uh, share this and uh, on the podcast. So yeah, thanks for coming. All right. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. So can you provide just a a brief introduction and maybe uh, tell the story of your background as a teacher and a teacher of teachers? Well, um, I've been in education for over 30 years now. So um, I started back in 1987, um, teaching at a correctional facility, a juvenile correctional facility. So teaching young men between the ages of 12 and 18 who had been adjudicated. Um, and so that was where I, where I started learning um, how to be a teacher. Um, I was in the middle of finishing up grad school at Temple University. We had professors like um, Rudnick and Krulik who were heavy and connected to NCTM. And at that time, drafts of the first NCTM set of um, the, not principles and standards, the curriculum evaluation document. Mm-hmm. The first one was was sort of a book that we studied and we studied drafts of it during our, our grad work. So um, 
that introduction to an organization at that time, NCTM was a part of it, but that introduction to learning about the teaching as I went through my grad school was a key part. Taught at the correctional facility for a few years, then left and went and worked as an actuary for a year. And within oh, two wow. weeks was like, no, I need to get back into teaching. <laughs> a year later, I went back into teaching. My wife and I relocated to the um, Maryland area, Oxon Hill. And I taught over in, at Yorktown High School in Arlington, Virginia for a couple of years. Um, so taught at high school in Arlington, Virginia, then moved up to the Baltimore area, taught at a private school for a year, and then came and landed in Baltimore County where I've been there for 27 years. So as a middle school teacher in Baltimore County, about half of my, my um, five years as a middle school teacher, five years as a high school teacher in Baltimore County, um, and so that takes up about 15 years, the private school, the correctional facility, the year off of teaching, uh, and then those 10 years as a teacher in Baltimore County. And then I went into um, leadership role as a secondary math coordinator for mm -hmm. eight years there. And then the director of math um, pre-K to 12 for, for six years in Baltimore County. So I say that my teaching experience in the county, my teaching as a teacher about 15 years of teaching, about 15 years in leadership roles, um, make up my sort of 30 years. Um, in that capacity of being an uh, administrator, supporting schools, working with teachers, planning professional learnings, coordinating with our local universities that provide um, not only um, in-service type experiences for our, our current teaching workforce, but also pre-service. So as they work with forming their courses and their methods courses and things along those lines, math courses to enrich our grads, our, our teachers who go back to their universities to get their graduate degrees. So all kinds of partnerships and having that opportunity to teach on the university level as several of the universities in the Maryland area and also in Northern Virginia um, has allowed me to really have this feel for what do we need to do for mathematics, mathematics education from a pre-K through 16 type perspective when you look at everything involved with teacher preparation, everything involved with uh, just the work that teachers do um, and helping support teachers in, their, in what they do to make mathematics better, more meaningful for more students. Um, so work, I do those kind of things. I guess outside of work, <laughs> I've been involved with several organizations, past president of NCSM, the Mathematics Education Leadership Organization, um, just finished up being chair of the U.S. National Commission on Mathematics Instruction. So that commission really looks at international and, and math education from an international perspective and how that can inform our work here in the States and how we can help inform work of math education in the international field. So that, and then a variety of projects and task force and advisory boards throughout the year. So um, what I look at is if what I can do is help contribute, I'm here to serve. My whole role has been to serve in some capacity. I roll up my sleeves and I work um, beside doing this work of really um, improving mathematics for more students. And that's really been a, anybody's ever heard me talk, I mentioned my why, my granddaughter, Bevelyn, um, and that's, I want math to be a good experience for her and any future grandchildren we might have. Um, so that's really why I keep going at what I do. That's cool. It's that, that purpose statement. And then 
you do a quick Google search of you, John, and like, I don't know if you ever do that, but I, I did just in prep for this and seeing all the different places that you're, you know, you can find your name and where you're involved in and uh, thinking about that purpose statement. And you can kind of see like, okay, all of these things, like what makes John tick? And you can see all these different things like, okay, that that's, there's, there's the, there's the background to it. And it's, it's pretty cool to see um, again, all the different ways that you gotten involved in, it's almost like this. I mean, when you think about your whole story, it's almost, I, I, sorry, I went to Lion King, like circle of life. Like it's from the education, from a, so taking someone from through their math education and even to thinking about how can they go back in and become a teacher and go back into the system and, and wanting to use that math education to help others get a math education. It's like, there you go. It's, it's, it's a cool story. Well, thank you, man. And, and that circle of life piece is all about what we, um, See is our role and our purpose. I, I I think I learned this. I don't know. If, well, yes, this was on by design, and I say by design, um, not my design, but by design because starting off teaching in a correctional facility taught me a couple of key things. One is to be flexible, flexibility. the The main important thing was teaching was all about the students, all about the young men that I had in front of me that helped them um, learn and grow, but just helped them mature as from boys as youth as 11, 12 years old to becoming young men when they step back out uh, in the world. So it was about the students and about showing how much you care about them versus about me being so focused and so locked in on the mathematics. Mm -hmm. That helped me get a paycheck because that's what I was supposed to be doing with them. But really is um, this teaching is really a hard thing. It's about how do we really go about showing our students that we care enough about them as individuals to then go on and teach them the mathematics they need to learn. Yeah. And so, I mean, having that, and that asset based perspective, I mean, so my dad, a little bit of background on me, my dad's um, was a uh, probation and parole agent and did a lot of work with, you know, young men and young women as they came out of mostly young men, as they came out of uh, a correctional institution trying to think like, how do you provide that, you know, trying to think like connecting them to, Hey, you're seeing like, you got a lot of potential. How can we line up to you to take the ACT and get into a university and like trying to find them the assets in order to get in the path that they want to be on versus maybe the path they found themselves on. And so, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the thinking about that. And like from a, from a young kid and like trying to think like, you know, what, what does that mean for uh, us as educators and, and trying to, you know, provide, provide a good, uh, good education for everybody. So yeah. awesome. So, so that's, that's a little bit of background. I'm just, so, and I just a little bit of background on why this uh, we're, I'm thinking about calling this uh, episode, the power of organizations, because again, I see your name involved with a lot of different organizations. Uh, obviously you talked about the president of, of NCSM and then thinking about the uh, uh, I saw your name on a uh, Todos live, which we'll talk about coming up like a, a talk on uh, people's uh path was your where are you in your equity journey so i thought that was a, a cool topic that's coming up on february 17th the talk that you're doing and so seeing all your, your different ways that you're involved and, and also the book that just came out uh recently on uh the addressing math for uh social justice and thinking about how do we how do we tap into organizations how do we embrace the power of organizations and so 
you know, thinking about some of the categories that we usually use on the podcast, think about the high five or learning. So I thought, hey, we're going to try and twist these and talk about the power of organizations. So, so what are what are two to three learnings that you've had from your work with organizations that have helped you teach better? I'm going to try. I got a few too that I want to throw your way. Okay. Well, one of them I would say to help me teach better and help me um, with the work that I do. I, the, the three that pop in my mind real quick is this one that's the importance of understanding our students. Um, this importance of understanding our students, learning about our students, really pushing in on understanding them. Um, you will see that coming up as people talk about equity work, culturally relevant pedagogy, um, the social justice work that's happening, mm -hmm. that part of the importance of the student's voice. Um, but really it gets down to that importance of understanding our students. Um, thinking about being a teacher, when you be, are a teacher and you step into a school, what do you know about that school community? What do you know about the community of the, where the school is housed? How do you go about learning about your students so that you can learn about their, some of their lived experiences so that you can learn how to activate prior knowledge, so that you can learn how to really connect to your students? Um, so that, that one there, and, and a lot of that is through some of the readings, some of the articles, you think about the organizations. Um, and this is the part I would say right here on the front part with organizations, as I, this is my perspective. I've always looked at learning and me being a, a lifelong learner as my role of what I need to do, period. As a teacher, as a teacher that works with other teachers, as a leader that works with teachers and continues to do work with teachers and, and building leaders in any capacity, I always need to be about learning. And so when I think about um, how do I get at this understanding of students, you, you're looking at journals um, like NCTM's journals that they put out. Um, AMTE puts out journals. Totos, Benjamin Banneker, and some of the articles that will show up in the variety of journals out there are ones that specifically speak to our students, our students' perspective, our students' voice, and ways to go up unlocking that. So one of the powers of organizations, I can't do that part of myself. And I'm not going to be, this is me, John, I'm not going to be that kind of person that is always doing literature reviews, looking through all the literature that's out there. But if I'm a member of an organization and I'm paying for whatever that membership is and they, they give me a journal, I'm going to flip through that journal. I may not mm -hmm. read all of the articles, but if I'm in this mindset of me still continuing to learn about my students, that's what I'm gonna make sure I do. Um, what quite often happens is people take this focus and this is something else that is a benefit from the organizations that's helped me teach better, helping me take care of my content, helping me mm -hmm. take care of my understanding of my content, how I need to go about um, what it means to teach it, what it looks like in the classroom, and so that can be through the organizations that are out there um, that are helping support that work through some of the conferences. And now, especially with opportunities that are opened up with virtual conferences, the ability to, to tap in and connect in on virtual conferences is like, wow, yeah. eye-opening yeah. for many. And I believe many more of us have gotten used to this structure over the last eight to 10 months. So therefore, I'm hoping that that's something that continues to move forward in the future because now that opens up access for more people, mm -hmm. people who can't travel or it's, it's prohibitive for them to travel because they have to be in the classroom or they have to, and they don't really have that kind of time to commit to it, family or some, 
times, but finances, man, that opens it up. So that second thing is about me making sure me is my responsibility to make sure I know my content. I know the content I need to teach. I know the ways to teach it. I know how best to teach it for my to my students and for my students. The third thing is um, how do I go about enhancing my instructional toolkit? And instructional toolkit from the general pedagogical ones, the instructional strategies that you can use in any content areas, but also in from the math perspective, the instructional toolkit that mathematics educators need. Mm-hmm. And that toolkit there is those those mathematical pedagogy, mathematic content knowledge, and all those kind of pieces that really play into the types of things I would do in a math class that might be unique to that math class. The use of our our manipulatives. Yes, other areas have different tools they use, but when you look at the use and the choice of using manipulatives in the classroom, the organizations through journal articles, and I probably mentioned, I know I mentioned journal articles, but through journals, through conferences, going to conference sessions, powerful, powerful tool to help you think through. But the ultimate one, and I mentioned that on the front end, is this dual responsibility. And I think now it's become even more important that we that we carve out time and really learn about our students. Mm-hmm. That part, I think, I won't say doesn't outweigh if you don't know your math. So if you don't know the math you're supposed to be teaching, that's detrimental. <laughs> so that's why you say you got to take care of that part. But quite often, what do we do? Math educators quite often shy away from or don't pay as much attention to the balance of what's needed from the perspective of understanding your students. And that is so critical at this time. And it's always been critical, but now we're seeing how much more is critical. Yeah. Well, that's um, one of my favorite books and one I've talked about in this uh, podcast before is uh, Megan Lampert's Teaching with Problems and the Problems of Teaching and love her drawing of, you know, the practices of teaching. It's not only about knowing your content, which you emphasize, but then that also that's like knowing your students so that you know, what am I going to put into play to in order to facilitate their building a relationship with the content? Because, yeah, I, I could know the mathematics as well as anyone, but if I don't have no idea who's out in the classroom, then, you know, I'm just throwing darts uh, with a blindfold on and like not really thinking about what's the, what's the best thing that I can do for my students or to facilitate that relationship. I mean, you're treating, and that, if you go at it one perspective, you're treating your students as this open vessel that you're just pouring stuff in mm-hmm. versus my students come with a whole lot already in there. And me trying to figure out how do I help activate that and take them to the next level, activate that and really make it meaningful for them, activate that. And that's the us making sure that we learn about our students. So um, I'll mention, I don't remember the name of the article, but I believe um, Robert Berry, um, who's the, the past president of NCTM, mm-hmm. we've had a chance and opportunity to, when he was in Canaan, Maryland to speak, when he was president, he came with one of his former grad students, one of his doctoral students, and they had written an article, I think it's The Lies I Tell Myself, um, something along those lines, where um, she's a white female, he's an African-American male, and she sort of was the lead on the writing of that article as they wrote that article together. Um, telling her story about um, how when it came to learning about teaching fractions or learning about teaching decimals, yes, we dive in on that. We learn all the strategies we can, 
But what she was not as, didn't put as, as much attention on was that learning about just teaching, learning my students mm. and learning what they need and how to reach them. And their article talks about the importance of emphasizing both mm-hmm. and not one over the other, but that importance of us paying critical attention to we got to study how to learn our students and how to help our students understand. And we have to study about the importance of our students so that that gets as much attention. And we're mindful of that as it if it was you were learning how to teach this new math content. Right. Otherwise, if all you cared about the math, you might still be in the actuary office, just uh, plugging away at some number. <laughs> I, I was still being a cube. And, and uh, trust me, I, I, I love the work, but within two weeks, I felt like I was a caged animal. Um, and just, man, and I was missing that interaction with young adults, um, helping them learn, helping them grow, and with peers. Yes, we interacted in the actual mm-hmm. office, but not in the same way, not in the same yeah, yeah. manner. Well, and I think that was one thing with, uh, you know, it kind of talks about your first one with thinking about, like, what do we get when we engage with organizations when, you know, you, I don't know, like, I thought I was, you know, pretty good initial math teacher, like coming on thing, I'm a hot shot and going to my first organization, first conference or something like that. But then when you, when you do have the interaction, either through, you know, like the journals or the books, the publications, or even going to a conference and you see like how, like a, uh, a math educator, an experienced math educator is doing a presentation and talking about how they know their students and like what they did in order to, again, facilitate the relationship between the students and content. And like, you're like, Oh, I don't do that. Not a, not from a comparison, but it's almost like iron sharpens iron sort of things. Where wow, they put something out there that that's going to make me better. Now I can think about how what what can I do better, and then maybe share that with my colleagues or at a con- or through a journal or whatever. It's like this constant like let's make each other better. And, and like, I was talking about this on uh, uh, recently. It was like oh, go ahead, John. No, no, it's what's it? It's about continuous growth. Yeah. It's about continuous growth as me because every year that I was in the classroom, I was never satisfied. Mm-hmm. I never had a hundred percent of my students reach the highest expectation that I thought they could have. All of them grew, all of them learned something, all of them had a wonderful experience in my class, at least from my perspective, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. I was always at this mindset of what else can I do differently? I know there were some students in the classroom who did not show it on paper as well as they could have. And I'm thinking, what else can I learn? What else can I do? So when you think about organizations, people think quite, sometimes people think and focus on the national ones. Mm-hmm. But I, I would tell an offer to you to think about um, your state and your local organizations. Right. So if you've got a state affiliate and maybe if they're not affiliate, just a state group that has pulled together or a county group or a district or a school system group that has pulled together some some learning types of experiences. They're a small microcosm of an organization. They're possibly also connected to some of the higher level organizations, but they might be local or more immediate for you. Mm-hmm. So get started somehow and get connected somehow to your local organization because that right there, I, from my first year of teaching, I remember asking if I can go to the NCTM conference I believe it was in Orlando, Florida that year, and they said yes. So down I went and got connected with that organization, NCTM, which has continued connections throughout the years with serving on task force committees and things like that, um, some writing opportunities, but all about learning. 
It's all about every time I step into a space, what else can I learn to help as I work with teachers, as I work with administrators, as I teach students, as I work with as I worked with students in the in the years when I was in the classroom directly, always thinking about how do I get around people so I can learn more. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just thinking of my my first conference experience was at NCTM and uh, uh, there was a regional in Madison while I was still an undergrad. And uh, Meg Meyer, who is our university supervisor, got us so that if we went and like, you know, held open the doors and checked name tags, we could go. And, you know, she just said, like, don't this is a unique opportunity. And it's like I remember I tried to soak up as much as I could. And I remember I, I think I talked to I went to a presentation on geometer sketchpad and then I went down to the. Uh, um, you know, the floor where, you know, all the vendors the were. Yeah. 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 And then he was there like, you know, and the booth. And I'm like, I get to have a conversation with a guy like that wrote Geometer Sketchpad. It was like, you know, for me, it was like, oh, wow. I watched like the, an actor in a movie. And it's like, like oh, you know, I didn't know selfies at that time, but it was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> like <laughs> sign my Geometer Sketchpad box. <laughs> but it was so cool being able to talk to people like that. And like that, again, that, uh, that chance to have those sorts of conversations and thinking about how do you take something like, what are some ideas you have or, or, you know, like, cause again, all trying to, well, and that's, what's, what's cool about it is that it's a group of people, an organization is a group of people that are around something like they're willing to talk and get real nerdy with you on some stuff. And like, let's, how do we think about how to take this craft that we're doing and take it to the next level? And they get excited as you are versus like, you know, uh, the people in your house might not be as excited to have those conversations as you are at within these organizations. So you, well, well, you, you said something about get real nerdy with you. I'm always thinking about get real cool with me. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, I never want that label of being a nerd or that perspective. And it could be, I grew up in Philadelphia and the last thing I wanted to do is be seen as a nerd. You know, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to be that nerd fellow called it by my brothers and my cousins and relatives or by anybody. So I always wanted to say, okay, how do we go about making math cool? Yeah, yeah. Making math so like cool that people really want to dive into that coolness. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The, the the uber coolness. There we are. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So what, so thinking back and giving a little bit of perspective, again, you're talking about 30 years of experience in the field, but what would you have done differently as a new teacher? What advice would you give to a new teacher, given what you now know after your work with organizations? What, what advice would you give out? I, w- I would um, suggest two things to new teachers. The first one deals with this concept of reflection. I would, um, and, and what I mean by reflection, I don't mean being so critical of yourself that you paralyze yourself in your ability to mm. make mistakes or try things that don't work and, and really beat up on yourself. But I'm talking about positive, I'm talking about reflection from a perspective of growth, perspective of how do I go about thinking critically about something I've done, I've attempted in the classroom, my classroom environment, the lessons and the structure I have to my lessons, how my students are performing thinking critically about all that, but not paralyzing yourself with um, with this critiquing of yourself to this level of you got to be perfect in everything. So I, w- I would, if I was stepping back and beginning again, what I would do is I would get some kind of journal, mm-hmm. eight and a half by 11 notebook, black composition notebook, and I would just put dates in it. And as I reflect on different things from my lessons, key lessons, um, 
observations, conferences, readings. I would record those reflections in one journal and maybe now I would do it digitally. So I might have a, a thing that I could pull up on my phone. I would add my reflections in them and I would just date it and I would keep it running. And then I would continue to think through that process and every now and then step back and look at some of my reflections and read through them. Because what you'll see is you will see your growth growing as you go throughout the years as teachers. And you will see things that you need to continue to learn about and, and work on just from your, so that the power of reflection, I believe is one thing. Um, new teachers, even experienced teachers, I would say it's not too late. Grab a journal, mm -hmm. you know, or open up a, something on your, on your computer or on your phone where you will record your reflection. And don't beat up yourself about how frequently you do it. Just go about when you're prompted to do some reflection, boom. When something hits you and it's like this, aha, boom, jot something down. Don't go, I'm going to do a reflection every lesson. I'm going to do a reflection every day. Yeah. Because three days later, when you haven't done a reflection, you'll start beating up on yourself. That's right. And the ability to keep starting over and over and over and over, you might have the perseverance to do that now. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, there's things that all of us have probably tried. And after a couple of days, I'm not really hitting it. We just sort of stop it. So this reflection I would do and not worry about your frequency, but just keep that journal there, jotting down some notes, no matter how you do it. The other part I would offer and suggest to new teachers and any teachers in the field who haven't really done this is get connected and be willing to serve. Joel, you mentioned as a, a grad student going to the Wisconsin State Conference for Mathematics um, educators and what, I, what I've always looked for is those opportunities to one, go to, or be engaged with groups, conferences, things along those lines, um, and be willing to serve. In this case, you said, okay, if you open up doors, maybe it's giving out badges, maybe it's stuffing bags, maybe it's, it's hundreds of things that need help and support at conferences, hundreds of things that organizations need help and support with, not necessarily through conferences. So just think as as easily and as um, the smaller microcosm of just your state organization that's real local or your system organization that's real local to you and how you can get involved. And it's something about that serving aspect that I've always taken to things um, and the willingness to serve. And I've always had this mindset of let's roll up our sleeves and let's get this work done. Yeah. Um, and, and that gives you opportunity. Sometimes you'll be serving beside Maybe it's the guy who wrote Geometry Sketchpad. Maybe it's somebody who just wrote this book, just wrote this article, somebody you heard on the podcast, and you're both of their stuffing bags together or preparing something or handing out something. And you have that opportunity just to talk in natural. You know, there, there are many people in mathematics education that are connected to the variety of organizations that do it so that they can be there to serve. And part of serving is sharing. Mm -hmm. And so... If, if you get connected, if you don't get connected and you go about this teaching in isolation in your classroom, close my door, give me mine and let me teach my four or whatever, you know, four courses or eight yeah. courses. Um, I think you have a, you, your career is limited in the richness that it can really happen. And your students are limited in the access to you really growing and accessing others and bringing that into the classroom. So you're the president of NCSM. I'm just curious. Like, what, what might have been the first thing you did serving in NCSM? Do you remember? Um, 
<laughs> first thing totally I did, off the sir, cuff here. No, no, no. Hey, I understand that. Um, so when you get elected, people start asking you, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, and, and two things came to mind at that time. One is how do we help um, really shape the equity conversation? How do we really push in on equity and push in so that we are making, acknowledging some things that are happening, identifying actions and holding ourselves accountable. So mm-hmm. really that part about equity and and where were we as an organization? But I would say, where is anybody in their, their equity journey, their equity walk? But as you think about your understanding, because that's a growing area that I even had to go to and NCSM as an organization, we, we pushed the, the limits on, not limits, but we pushed the boundaries on with growing and expanding some things around that time period. So that was the one thing. And the other part was to make sure our focus was on students. Mm-hmm. Um, as the teacher, the leadership organization, we sort of support those who work with teachers and support teachers in all different levels. But what we had as a as a, a mantra, had as a focus, a focus question is how do we go about, how might we change the teaching and learning of mathematics to make it more meaningful, relevant, and accessible for more students. And so it was coming up with those two threads that would, um, those two statements that would make us think through what we were doing with our equity work and how do we push in on that? And then what we were doing as far as impacting the teaching and learning and mathematics in the field. So those were the two that were like, boom, this is what we got to go after. And we really hit and hammered um, what's, what do we look like as an organization? We did a, our, I think my first board meeting, we did an equity walk mm-hmm. where we looked in and put up certain things like how many just on our board, how many people of color are on our board, how many females are, how many under this age, and we had different age ranges, how many. So we really stepped back and looked and said, hmm, when we look at the composition of our board, is that reflective of our nation? Mm-hmm. Let alone is it reflective of our membership. So our membership probably reflected more what our board looked like at that time. Um, and did not reflect what the whole educational, you know, what our, our students look like. Right. So it wasn't as diverse as it needed to be. Um, and I think that's something they continue to push in on. And I think a lot of the math education boards, um, organizations have, have pushed in on their diversity and inclusiveness, helping people's voices be a part of their boards, part of their organizations, and going to the next level would really not just being a part, but being valued voice where you see actions changing, you see some boards, organization, and I, I connect organizations to the board that helps lead the organization, but you see the work that they've done over the years, um, probably in the last six, seven years, they've really paid some attention to, ooh, what do we look like? Hmm, how do we make sure we engage and bring more members with diverse backgrounds members who come with a diverse perspective into the body of our work. Do I see myself in your organization? <laughs> yeah. Do I see myself in the leadership of your organization? And if I don't, that's why I'm not part of that organization or want to be a part of that organization or will continue to be a part of that organization. Yeah. It's, I mean, and maybe that gets right into the, I know this question I, I put up there is, what would be the major critique of organizations? What do they need to do better? I mean, that's, I mean, it sounds like you 
brought that to the table right away as when you took over as a NCSM president. But anything so, else so, that you had to add to that? I mean, the, the thing that that when you think about the hearing of different voices, the 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 multiple perspectives you need to have as an organization. Um, I think the it, it, and I don't know. I wouldn't call it a critique, but I think what organizations have to try to avoid is this thing called groupthink, mm. where it it feels like you surrounded yourself with everyone who sort of thinks like you or thinks like the nucleus of what you perceive as the organization and the organization purpose. So if everybody's thinking in the same place and, and nobody's challenging the thoughts that get put out or nobody's putting out new thoughts that go outside the box. In other words, forget the box, blow the box up in the sense of we no longer have to think about it as a box, but whatever that structure is, how do you really try your best to avoid groupthink? And to that end, organizations continuing to push in on um, bringing diverse thinking into their organizations, making sure that members who come from various racial and ethnic backgrounds, um, when you think about gender and you talk about gender identity and everything along those lines, they come with multiple perspectives. They come with multiple lived lived perspectives. So how do you make sure you try your best to be inclusive and get them into become a, a vital part of your organization, a part of your leadership in your organization? So that mm-hmm. means on that board, not only just members, but how do you really, really, really hear and see and open up the space to hear those voices and the multiple perspectives and then go about taking some actions and holding yourself accountable because that's the part. You can hear it all you want. But if you don't see change and your members don't see change, sooner or later, you're trying to figure out what's going on with our membership. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, that same sort of thing, we, we uh, at AMTE, I was, for some reason, I was the associate vice president of marketing. And so it was a, it was a new position that, and we looked at it like, what's our statement? Like, what do we stand for? And it was like, anyone that's associated with math teacher education could be a part of this organization. But then you looked at, you know, like think about groupthink, like what are the assumptions like for how we did things? It was a lot of like, oh, if you're in a tenure track research institution, you know, uh, professor, basically, like that was kind of like who was the, the organization aimed for. And they like, how do we, that's not math teacher, that's not the, the math teacher education in, in all of its, all the different roles that you can hold down. You know, when you think about the, the education I got from my clinical instructor and like, that was probably the most powerful math teacher education I ever got. And like, are they, are clinical instructors a part of this organization? Like, how do we get all these different roles and, and see how do we do it? And so one of the things we did was, you know, do the teaching math teaching podcast so we can get all these different voices out there that are involved, you know? So like those sorts of things where it's, Hey, think about where you're at, where you want to go and, and think about what are some actions you can take to keep moving in that direction. Not that it's AMT has got it all figured out, but they're, I think that they're taking steps that way. Um, and having a virtual conference is going to help too, and, and getting more people involved and making it more accessible and things, but, but still like holding that mirror up and saying like, who are, who do we represent? Can people see themselves in this organization? Cause like you said, if you can't see yourself and you don't see like your voice being, or, or like that you are, going to have those sorts of connections with what is happening. Like you might want to, might want to be a part of that organization. So that's, that's a good point. And I, I think that goes back to when you think about your organization, 
and you have your, your mission, your vision, and what's your goals and your purpose of your organization, why does your organization exist? Mm-hmm. And, and in many cases, you want to stay true to why your organization exists. But do you need to critically think about and critique your organization's um, foundational existence and recognize how it's been built and developed over years and how it might need to shift and change? Um, because now when we look at mathematics education, we have more students that come with a variety of backgrounds and more racial um, diversity and ethnicity diversity. Many of our organizations were formed when that was not the case of our student bodies who were going after learning rich, high levels of mathematics, K to 16. So since that's opened up with people having access and being able to, how do we need to possibly step back? And like you said, Joel, um, AMTE took some and looked at some things and did some reorganization. I think everyone in the mathematics education organizations took a couple steps back within the last six, seven years and really said, hmm, what do we need to do differently right. when it comes to not just this piece of marketing, because why are you relevant? Why should I join your organization? And it's not because I'm going to get a journal twice a year or three times a year. <laughs> yeah. And it's not because yeah. I'm going to go to a conference that I might not, if I got to pay out of pocket, it, it, it could be costly. Yeah. But why do I want to be connected with anyone in that organization? And, and that's what we have to think about. I'm trading time. I'm trading a resource of my time and sometimes a resource of my money to be connected to an organization. And if that organization helps me grow, and provides resources for me to help grow. That's the key. And if those are, as you think about what the organizations do, um, and this is what I will put out to just everybody to sort of think about, um, many of the organizations provide free resources and paid for resources. Paid for resources in the sense of you have to be a member. So even if right now you're not a member of an AMTE, an NCTM, an NCSM, a TOTOS, a Banneker, a Women in Math Education, any of those organizations or others, dot, dot, dot. So I'm not saying I've listed all of them. Mm-hmm. But even if you're not a member of those organizations, look for what their free offerings are because they're offering things that you can access that are free. It might be an article here and there. It might be a webinar. Access them and learn because one of the things that I believe um, is the best thing a teacher could do is is stay in the learning mode, stay in the learning posture, really be about learning and and do it through readings, do it through what you watch, what, what you might be able to see through live or virtual conferences or live or virtual presentations and what you can listen to. So when you get a chance to hear a podcast and some of the book studies that y'all did over the summer and y'all and the work you continue to do through this podcast, Joel and the team, powerful work for you just to be able to listen to. Mm-hmm. And then that piece of connecting. How do you connect to others that are going about improving their craft, improving the teaching and learning of mathematics, not for the individual selves, but for our students? And that's that's so critical. Yeah. So I got one more question for you. And again, you dropped a bunch of golden nuggets right there, but let's see what else. Maybe you got something else to plan. So what is the best thing you do to help your teaching, John? So part of it was that part about staying in the learning mode and posture. 
the first thing I was thinking about for that question was always continue to ask yourself, what else can I do for my students? What else can I do for my students? And so that's part of that reflection, but it's all of my students didn't do well on my last assessment, whatever it might have been, a formative assessment, a big assessment, a high stakes assessment, whichever assessment, all of my students did not do well on that assessment. Hmm. What else can I do? Mm-hmm. Do I need to teach them different learning strategies? Do I need to teach them some study skills? What do I need to think about with the way I taught the topics? What else do I need to do for my students? It's never what else do they, I never thought what else do they need to do? Well, if they just studied harder, if they just studied more, if they just pay more attention in the classroom, but if they weren't paying attention to my classroom, I'm thinking, what else do I need to do to help them pay more attention? Mm-hmm. You know, if you ever tape yourself, your 45 minutes, your 90 minutes, however long your class period is, tape yourself a couple of times each year and listen to the tape and see who's doing all the talking, see who's doing all the thinking and see who's really tuning in in the class and say, what do I need to change about this? So, man, I hook and I bring more students in. I bring more students to the table. I help more students really access the content that I'm, I'm teaching. I, I would, if you can videotape, videotape. Years ago, when I was in the classroom, I looked at how I was providing notes and writing problems up on the board. So I had a whiteboard or a chalkboard. I can't remember. Yeah, I had a chalkboard at that time. So I'm looking at how I'm doing my notes and I'm looking at how I'm erasing stuff. And I happened to go to a, a, a session, a professional session where I saw somebody and I knew what they were supposed to be talking about, but they were writing all over the board and racing stuff in the middle. And it clicked to me then. I said, is that, that's what I'm doing to my students. So how can somebody who knows what you're supposed to be teaching, and I was so confused with this person or I was just so distracted. So what it did was it changed how I even laid out my presentation mm-hmm. of my notes, my boards. I was careful about when I just erased and threw something up. I was careful about the use of chalk colors or marker colors um, because that presentation, that written presentation of what I put up on the board was a piece of helping with understanding. So always be in that mindset of what else can I do for my students? Yeah, fine tune that much is it's great. I mean, even thinking like that from a uh, an organizing, how I'm going to put things on the board. I mean, just like, so even what are those things that are going to facilitate my students receiving this content versus like that might distract, like, gosh, you know, Mr. Amanon's always just erasing things and I haven't even written it down. He doesn't even care. Like, you know, versus like I've, I've thought about it and then here's the really important stuff's in a certain color, like, you know, Hey, that's, that's good. That's good stuff. And, and Joel, think about what you just said, that part about writing it down and always erasing stuff. I used to tell my students at different times, stop, put your pencils down. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put the problem up on the board. We're going to talk through it together. And then I'm going to let you pause and write it down. Because what happens? I will start writing. They look down. They try to write it. They look up. They look down. They look yeah, up. Yeah. They look up. They're doing a yo-yo and watching what's on the board. And they can never keep up. If you are trying that hard to write down everything you see going on the board, no matter what it is, um, your concentration is not really on understanding the processes and the things that are happening there the side questions that a teacher might throw out that I would throw out at my students as we're going through that process. 
they were about getting it down on the paper so they had something to go back to and refer back to. Well, I need to, I, I made adjustments in how I went about that teaching where I would say, pencils down. All right, let's talk through this problem. Let's go through this. And we would do that. And then I said, okay, now go ahead and write it down. What kind of questions? And we keep mm -hmm. it going. So yeah, yeah. that's what else can I do for my students? Always studying my students to think through what I can do, what I can do to help change their, their learning practices, if that's the case, or what else I can do to help my teaching be more clear for them, more understandable. And so I can better see that formative assessment process, better see when the lesson went sideways, I lost some students. Yeah. The light bulb yeah. went off and it didn't go off because they decided to hit the switch. It went off because of something I did said or didn't show. <laughs> I flipped the switch. <laughs> yeah. I flipped that switch. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Absolutely. Well, well I, I really appreciate John, you taking the time to, uh, uh, to share all this uh, expertise and, and, I'm just, just thankful for time because I know time is very valuable. So have a couple things, uh, you know, I want to put out there to make sure that people know. Um, on February 17th of 2021 at 4 p.m. Pacific, uh, you have a TOTOS Live coming up. Uh, where, where are you in your equity journey? And I th uh, that has been out there. I think you can access it straight from the TOTOS website. Um, yeah, go, go to TOTOS' website and I believe you can, you can look at it. You can sign up and get that link to come into you. Mm -hmm. um, looking forward and excited about that opportunity, humbled to be invited to be a part of that conversation. Um, I would. This is where I say, go see what organizations are putting up and that free stuff so that you can access, that you can become a part of. Um, and the key part is even on the front end and say it's at a meeting time when you teach. Well, by registering quite often, what happens with some of these webinars, you get the link on the back end that says, hey, right. here's the recording. And so you get to hear it. You don't get to engage and participate in it right then. But when you see this in Toto's Live, um, you'll, you'll have an opportunity to even connect and engage. And, and my email address is always out there on Twitter. It's at jstaley06, that's J-S-T-A-L-E-Y 06. So that you can connect that way. Um, email, you can connect that way. Um, so it's different ways. Some other, some other, I guess things that are happening in February, excited about um, some some virtual conferences that are happening. Mm -hmm. So so look for the virtual conferences that are happening from the organizations. I believe AMTE's conference yep. this month. Yep. NCTM's got a virtual conference this month. Mm -hmm. um, and because some of them might have some free sessions that you can see, yeah. I don't know because yeah. I haven't looked at all of them, but. If you go look, they might even just have a keynote session that might be open access for anybody to see. Something for you to consider. Um, if you are attending one of them on February 6th, I'm doing a presentation for NCTM, Teaching Math with Intentionality. Nice. Um, that's at noon on the 6th. That's noon Eastern Standard Time. Um, the U.S. National Commission of Mathematics Instruction, we organized a set of um, webinars back in July, in the summertime, especially with dealing with and, and helping support teachers, teacher educators in this COVID pandemic. And so we've continued that and started them back up. Um, and so on the 16th, we have a, a webinar coming to you and Kyle Pierce and John Orr will be, will be really talking about how to speak, how to spark curiosity with math, with problem-based lessons. So that's nice. their session uh, on the February 16th. That's the U.S. National Commission for Math Instruction. So check out their website. You can register. 
and then that gets broadcast Facebook Live, and we use Zoom and all those things there. Nice. Um, Texas Instrument, TQ, their TQ International Conference is virtual this year. Um, on the 20th, it's another Saturday at 2.45 Eastern Time, I'm doing a session. This one is called Teaching STEM with Intentionality. So nice. when, you, when you look at the variety of organizations that are doing virtual conferences now, um, looking forward to the future because I believe we're building and developing a new, I don't want to call it a new normal, but a new way of doing work, a new way of doing learning. Yeah. Um, and this virtual space is giving us more access and opportunities to reach many, many more people. Yeah. And I, I, we'll have show notes for this episode. So all these uh, dates and link, if there's links out there, I'll grab them and I'll put them on the uh, show notes page and we'll uh, it's be on amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 41. Uh, also, I want to promote your book, uh, High School Mathematics Lessons to Explore, Understand and Respond to Social Injustice. They did with Robert Berry, Ryan Lawler. Uh, oh, uh, hey, Conway. Yes, yes. Facebook Conway. Yeah. Yes. And then uh, and, and and the the real stars of the book about the teachers. Yeah, the teachers, the teachers that submitted lessons, wrote lessons to go into the book. Just, mm -hmm. you know, there would be no book if we didn't have their contributions. Yeah. And, and the free stuff that we talked about, like uh, there's still some Facebook live videos that you can access from our conversations from this summer. We'll, we'll put links to that as well, because. I think uh, for as it's it's like orange juice concentrate how much value there is in that book. So um, I I, I know I, I treasure it. So again, thank you so much, John. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to the next conversation. Joel, enjoy being here. And and just one quick that high school book. If you think you like that, yeah. there's a uh, the early childhood version coming out. Mm -hmm. a grades three to five version so pre-k to two three to five and a six to eight version that will be coming out in the future we're in the process of working on that now there are teams of um, key writers writing the the front pieces of the book and those but educators submitting lessons from all over the country that will be a part of that those series of so three new books coming out around that same topic of um, social justice and, and really dealing with that so yeah and I heard some of the people that are involved and it'd be some good stuff coming out. So yeah, pay attention to those books. So again, thank you, John. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, Joel. Thank you for having me again. There you go. There you go. Lots of good stuff in there. And lots of, uh, lots of stuff that we want to get out there within the show notes. We'll put lots of links to all these different uh, opportunities that John mentioned. And again, finding those organizations, finding those ways that to get involved, to better your teaching, if you're a professional educator and, you know, for any, any, any time that there's an opportunity for you to gather with those that want to talk about improving their teaching in the area that you're in, I would say, go for it, jump in. And, you know, like, like John said, don't get nerdy with it, get cool with it, get cool with it. So that is all we have for this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. Show notes for the podcast, which can be very important with all the links to all those opportunities, can be found at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 41. If you're looking ways to support the podcast, which we greatly appreciate, you can subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribe to the Amazon Planet download, which contains uh, teaching resources and updates from Amazon Planet. Links to subscribe can be found at amazonplanet.com. You can follow at Amadon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amadon Planet Facebook page. 
You can also check out the Amazon Planet store or Amazon Planet bookshop. Links can be found in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com where your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. So again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. Thanks to John Staley for sharing his time and expertise. Thanks to Matt Mifflin, as always, for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.